You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we're going to be giving you my preview predictions and analysis for UFC 252, Miocic versus Cormier 3, with a main event bout, the trilogy bout for the heavyweight championship of the world. You have the current reigning, defending heavyweight champion of the world, Stipe Miocic, looking to go 2-1, and one, two in a row against Daniel DC Cormier after dropping the first fight and losing his championship at UFC 226. And then in the co-main event of the evening in the bantamweight division, you've got the top undefeated prospect in the bantamweight division, Sugar Sean O'Malley. Welcome to the Sugar Show. Going up against his toughest test to date, and that is Marlon Chito Vera. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing tonight? I hope you guys are all doing well. I know this episode's coming out pretty late, but I wanted to get these predictions out to you. And, uh, you know, it's probably not going to be that long of an episode. Obviously, you know, the last fight night we had was Lewis versus Olenek. Um, Derek Lewis knocks out Alexi Olenek. I believe it was a second-round KO. Um, hit him with a flying knee, dropped him, kind of like what Walt Harris did to uh, Alexi Olenek with the flying knee and then the punch. He did the flying knee, hit him, dropped him, and then grounded and pounded him and knocked him out. So uh, Derek Lewis is now on a three-fight win streak, looking to get um, a big fight for sure in his next outing. I, I'm not sure who he's going to get, but you know it's definitely going to be a big name. Maybe you give him, I would say Verdum, because Verdum just beat Gustafson, but I think he needs a bigger name than that. So let's check the UFC heavyweight rankings, and I can uh, I can see who maybe we could throw him in there with next. Um, you could give him the winner of JDS and um of JDS and Jairzinho Rosenstrike, which is on this card. I don't know why it took me so long to think of that, and that that's honestly what I would do. Whoever wins the fight this weekend, if Jairzinho wins, I think Biggie Boy versus the Black Beast is a great fight. I think Rosenstrike versus Derek Lewis is great. Um, if JDS wins, JDS already beat Derek Lewis. Maybe you run that rematch back and then give Jairzinho somebody else. But, you know, who knows? You know, we'll see what happens, to be honest. Um, Obviously, one fight has fallen off the card. That was Magomed Ankliev and Ian Kutalaba. They were supposed to fight, have their rematch after their unfortunate fight at UFC 249 where the referee stopped it and gave the win to Magomed Ankliev. But he wasn't actually hurt. He was just playing possum, and the ref jumped in and stopped it. So this was going to be their rematch, but that's obviously not going to happen now. So we'll see if that fight gets, I think it got rebooked to August, was it August 29th? I I know it got moved, I think it was moved to August 29th. So that's just for like the two-week quarantine period and and stuff like that. So we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, let's get into the card. I mean, why why waste any more time? Um, I will have another episode out this week. Hopefully I'll get back to some professional wrestling. I know it's been a long time, but there's just been so much going on in uh, the world of mixed martial arts that it's been kind of hard to, I feel like MMA right now is thriving during the pandemic, the quarantine. And I think WWE and professional wrestling is kind of on a, on a low, you know, on a, on a, on a downfall, on a downward slope and uh, MMA's picking up and, you know, it, it could be, it's obviously because of the fans, you know, the fans are more important to a professional wrestling show than they are to a mixed martial arts 
you know, contest and, and a show for the UFC because it's a lot more entertaining, I feel like, when there are no fans for MMA. And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, how can you say that? You know, the fans bring the energy and the excitement. Yeah, but when you can hear all the punches landing and you can hear the corners talking to their fighters during the fight and you can hear, like, some of the fighters in the cage take advice from the um, – take advice from – the commentators, I think that's very important. And uh, yeah, so that that's what I think. That's just my little spiel on that. But let's start it off on the prelims in the featherweight division. You have Herbert Burns, the uh, younger brother of Gilbert Burns, who's 11-2 overall in a professional mixed martial arts, going up against the returning Daniel Pineda, who holds a record of 26 wins, 13 losses, and two no contests. Pineda was in the UFC a long time ago, took a long hiatus. I believe he was in the UFC in like 2013 and then took a hiatus. So it's been almost seven years. Um, we can actually look that up really quick and I will, sh we can figure it out. So yeah. Okay. March 14th, March 15th, 2014. So, you know, over six years since his last fight in the UFC. And that was at UFC 171, and he lost to Rob Whiteford. Um, like he's had good performances in um, PFL, which is the Professional Fighters League. The guy is a phenomenal jujitsu artist, good on the feet, really good low kicks. Likes to set it up with the hands, pop, 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 chop the low kick, pop, 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 go to the kick, and uh, try to grab your neck, lock up a front headlock, and go for a guillotine. He's very good at trying to get your back, transitioning on the ground, and uh, working from top position and looking for chokes, um, arm locks. It doesn't really matter who you are, he's going to look to submit you. But you know what? Herbert Burns is a phenomenal black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. I mean, you look at his fight against Nate Landor and he locked up a Darce choke like immediately. And he, he kept falling to his back looking to pull um, Landor in. So he would, he would punch, 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 or this was against Dunham. I'm sorry. Um, he did, he did the Darce choke against Nate Landor, but against Dunham, he would pop, 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 and then kind of drop back to his butt. Um, to pull Dunham in and then work his ground game off of there, whether it was getting a hold of a single leg, hiking it up, standing up with it, going up the body, and then going to the front headlock and working for a darts choke, working for a guillotine, or pulling him into guard, um, sitting out, um, you know, almost like a switch position in, in amateur wrestling, sitting out, getting the, uh, the hook around the back, spinning and taking the back and putting your hooks in like that. There, there's, there's very, very slick things that a guy like Herbert Burns can do. And you saw against Nate Landau where he has good striking. His kicks are pretty powerful, decent punches, but he's always looking to get you to the ground. He's looking to get you on the floor and uh, either ground and pound you by getting in top position and landing some good punches or looking to submit you by grabbing your neck. And uh, I think that when it comes down to this fight, I think Pineda is better on the feet in terms of striking. I think he has better low kicks. I think his punches are a little bit crisper, a little bit more clean than Herbert Burns. I think in the clinch, Burns is, is more effective. He's more dangerous with knees, punches, elbows, and stuff like that from the clinch. Um, but when it comes to the ground, I think Herbert Burns is a, is just slicker than Daniel Pineda, and I think that's where the difference is going to come. I know Pineda's a, a phenomenal Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist, um, really, really good on the ground. Um, like I said, former fighter in PFL, former, you know, this is his return to the UFC after, like I said, six years, over six years since he's been in the promotion. So, you know, it's it's a big thing for him. He, he wants to get the win. He wants to come in and show that he belongs back in the UFC and that this second chance wasn't a mistake. But I think Herbert Burns is just too much for him. I mean, Gilbert Burns, the brother of Gilbert Burns, you know, they're training out of South Florida and uh, they're always, you know, Herbert Burns is just that much that good on the ground. And I think he's going to be able to lock up a submission on Pineda and uh, get the get the tap. I think it's probably going to be 
um, a rear naked choke. I think he's going to find a way to get the back, get the body lock in or the body triangle. I'm sorry. Um, body lock, body triangle, body lock is on the feet in the clinch positions. Um, body triangle is where you take the foot of your one leg and then you put it underneath the knee of the other leg and you lock it up right on the instep of that shin that's underneath your knee. And, uh, you, you can roll onto your stomach or roll them onto their stomach. And that puts a lot of pressure on their abdomen. It makes it hard for them to breathe, or you could just work for uh, submissions. I think he gets the back of Daniel Pineda at some point, um, and, and sinks in the rear naked choke and gets the tap. I'm going to go with Herbert Burns to get the win via a second round submission. All right, up next in the lightweight division, um, a late addition to the card, we have Jim A10 Miller, who holds a record of 13, 32 wins, 14 losses, and one no contest, going up against Vince from Hell P. Shell, um, who holds a record of 12 wins and two defeats in professional mixed martial arts. You know, Jim Miller has always been the guy who he, he can go on a losing streak and then come back and win a couple fights. I mean, he beat Clay Guida, and then he's coming off that big submission win over Roosevelt Roberts. I picked Roosevelt Roberts to beat Jim Miller, and I thought he was going to do it quite easily. I didn't think that Jim Miller was a pushover by any stretch of the imagination, but I did think that Roosevelt Roberts was too slick for him on the feet. But that didn't really matter because he found a way to get it to the ground, lock up an armbar, and get the submission and make him tap. Um, against Clay Guida, he got caught with a right hand, stumbled. Um, Guida walked in, boom, got caught with an overhand left, dropped him, immediately grabbed the neck and uh, jumped into the guillotine and got the got him to uh, go unconscious. So if Miller gets a hold of your neck, you know, it's going to be a problem. And when you look at a guy like Vince from Hell Pichel, like I said, he's he's been out of the UFC for a long time, but he, he's got a win over Roosevelt Roberts as well. That's the one thing that both of these guys have in common. Um, they've both been around the game for a long time. But um, Vince Pichel has not been active. I think his last fight prior to his return to the UFC or his last fight in the UFC, I believe was in like 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have it pulled up right now, but, uh, you know, Miller is primarily a Southpaw Vince Pichel, I believe is an Orthodox fighter if I'm correct, but he likes to switch stances a lot. He's very good at pop, 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 and then going with low kicks. He'll, he'll jab and then take that double step in to really turn his hip over and get into the low kicks. Um, he likes to, kind of switches stances as he moves laterally and he's always putting his hands out trying to uh gauge the distance and figure out where you're at and then bop jab bop you know control the hands boom control the hands bop 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 um that's what he does he's trying to he's trying to reach out there to deflect your jab to counter with his own jab deflect a lot of your punches to occupy your hands to take away the defense so he can attack you with kicks to the body kicks to the legs um, punches to the body. He's just kind of a, he's a wild fighter. That's what I would describe Vince from hell Pichel as he, he's a wild fighter. You know, he he's in there to, to be game. He's never going to quit, you know, against Roosevelt Roberts. He was down, I believe after the first round, and then he found a way to implement his grappling up against the fence, take him down and work from there and work from the ground and just overall out grapple Roosevelt Roberts. Now against Miller, um, Miller was able to finish him. So does that say much because Vince Pichel got the win over Roosevelt Roberts, but did not finish him. And Jim Miller got the submission in the first round against Roosevelt Roberts. So what does that say? I think that says that Jim Miller is just better on the ground overall. And I think on the feet, the, the weird style of Vince Pichel could give 
Jim Miller some trouble. I do believe that there is there is some areas on the feet that Jim Miller can have trouble with against um, Vince from Hell Pichel. But I think that Miller's jujitsu is really going to be the factor here. And we said that in the first fight we just discussed between Herbert Burns and Daniel Pineda that the, the jujitsu was going to be a big factor. And I think that in this fight, I think Jim Miller's jujitsu is just cleaner and his grappling is better than Vince Pichel. I think on the feet, um, Miller probably carries more power, but Vince Pichel um, carries more variety. He throws more strikes. He doesn't kind of just sit there and wait, 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 boom. Uh, you know what? Actually, no, he kind of does wait. He doesn't throw a lot of volume, but it's just weird strikes. You know, he'll jab, then he'll switch his stance, jab the other way, leg kick, jab, low kick, jab, jab, right hand. Um, he's just kind of mixing it up and moving around um, and just kind of getting you to bite on a lot of his movement and then just kind of pick you apart from there. But I, like I said, I think Miller's overall Brazilian jiu-jitsu game and the the sharpness of him on the ground is going to be the factor here. So I'm going to go with Jim Miller to get the win over, over Vince Pichel via unanimous decision. All right, let's move to the main card. And uh, the first fight on the main card that we have is going to be in the bantamweight division between the number 12 ranked John the Magician Dotson, who holds a record of 22 wins and 11 defeats, going up against Marab the Machine Devalishvili, who holds a record of 11 wins and 4 defeats. Um, John the Magician Dotson obviously training out of Greg Jackson's gym. Um, in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, with guys like John Jones, you got you got girls like Holly Holm there. You've got so many good fighters training out of uh, Greg Jackson's gym, and uh, you got Marab Davalishvili, who trains out of Long Island with guys like Eljamain Sterling, um, Eli Quinta, John Volante, Chris Weidman. You know they train out of that gym, and Marab Davalishvili is, is a grappler at heart. He does have good power on the feet, but he's pretty wild when it comes to the striking. He'll kind of rush in with power shots just to get you to come in and commit so he can duck under, get a takedown, or get a clinch position, whether it's a body lock or an over-under, and eventually work to trip you. Um, or what he really likes to do is fake, grab a single leg, hike it up, push you forward with a single leg and then trip out your base leg and then work from there. He's really, really heavy on the wrestling, on the, on the, on the uh, grappling, on the ground and pound, um, almost like a lesser version of Khabib. And I'm not saying Marab Davalishvili is not a good fighter. He is very, very good in his grappling. It is world-class with the way he's able to execute trips and throws and takedowns and land vicious, vicious ground and pound from the top. Um, but when you look at a guy like John Dotson, he's coming off a win over Nathaniel Wood, where uh, he caught him coming in with a left hook, I believe, as he came in, boom, dropped him, and then finished him off. That was a big win for John Dotson. And the key for Dotson in this fight is going to be speed. And it's not, okay, here's the thing on the feet. So Marab is good on the feet. He's wild. He throws a lot of volume. But the thing is, he's not as quick as John Dotson. And I think that if you run in with your hands down low, like Marab likes to do, he doesn't really keep his hands up because he's looking to take you down. His strikes are just an, a means to an end to get you to bite on the strikes, get your mind off the takedowns, and then get in close and take you to the ground. Whether it's through oh the over-under clinch and tripping you in the over-under, whether it's single legs and hiking you up and tripping out your leg and then getting the body lock and uh, controlling you on the ground and then eventually getting to mount. He's always using his striking to set up his grappling. Um, he doesn't really do wrestling to set up his striking. You know, some guys can go both ways. They'll strike to set up their wrestling, then they'll use the wrestling, break away, and strike. Um, Marab is more of a striking as a means to an end 
to get the grappling going. And against Dotson, coming in with your hands down low against a guy who's as quick as John Dotson is a recipe for disaster. I do think that Marab can take down John Dotson, and he probably will at some point. But Dotson has very good takedown defense and really good balance from that single leg position. And based on the fact that... Um, Marab Devalishvili likes to get a lot of takedowns from that single leg position and then tripping out the base leg. I think the balance of John Dotson can be a factor. I do believe he will get taken down, but I think that John Dotson is going to catch Marab. I think he's going to catch Marab. I think he's going to come in throwing those wild strikes and Dotson's going to pop him with that, that switch stance um, left hand and then angle off. Pop, pop, switch stance and uh, move to the angle. Pop, pop, move to the left. Pop, pop, cut an angle to the right. He's always cutting angles and moving laterally as John Dotson. And when you have a guy like Marab who's always moving forward, pusher, you know, pressure, 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 you got to move laterally to cut him off and make them run into stuff they don't want to run into and cut angles on them to give you a dominant angle to land your shots. And I think that's what Dotson's going to do. I think the first round will be very close, but I think in the second round, John Dotson's going to time him coming in, catch him with that right hand or uh, catch him with that left hand, hurt him, drop him and get a TKO. So I'm going to go with John, the magician Dotson to defeat Marab Devalishvili via a second round KO or we'll go TKO, a second round TKO. I don't think it'll be a clean KO. All right. All right. Up next in the heavyweight division, you've got junior Segano Dos Santos who holds a record of 21 wins and seven defeats. Who's uh, ranked fifth, I believe in the heavyweight division, or you know what? I think yeah, I think he's ranked fifth. Let's let's check that out. I I don't know if it's fifth and sixth or sixth and seventh. Here, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, heavyweight division. Pull it up, pull it up. Okay, so Jerzinho's ranked sixth, and uh, Sagano Jr. Dos Santos is ranked fifth. So, yeah, number five versus number six in the heavyweight division, you know, and we've got Junior Sagano Dos Santos, who holds a record of 21 wins and seven defeats, going up against Jerzinho Biggie Boy Rosenstrike, coming off the first loss of his professional career after going 10 and 0 um, and losing to Francis Ngano via first round knockout. Um, here's the thing in this fight. When it comes to volume striking and more weapons, it's it's Biggie Boy's fight all day. Um, he's got more weapons. He's got a lot of – he uses pity pat strikes to set up his power. And I said this when I broke down the Nganu fight, and I thought that was going to be a factor. He goes pop, 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 inside low kick. Pop, 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 inside low kick. He'll jab. He'll touch your hands to stop your jab and then go inside low kick. Touch your jab, inside kick. Touch your jab, switch stance to throw that overhand left. Um, he likes to move on the move laterally, get a lot of angles. He's very, very powerful. This is, this is something we know about Biggie boy. His jab has sat fighters down one shot. The check left hook, as you come in, he'll catch you coming in with that check left hook. I think that's going to be a big weapon against junior Dos Santos, but you got to worry that if junior tries to set it up and he sees that check left hook coming, that he doesn't dip inside of it and come over the top with a right hand. I think that could be a factor where he might come in. See him going for that check hook from the left or right side. It doesn't matter. You know, he does like to switch stance, does Jerzinho Rosenstrike, um, slip inside that check hook, and then go with the overhand right. But when it really comes down to the fight, here's what I think. I think I think if, Jer, um, if Junior Dos Santos wants to win, he has to uh, initiate low kicks. I think start off with some low kicks to try to stop the kicking game of Jerzinho because Rosenstrike has good kicks, whether it's from the power right side or he'll go or he'll throw his cross, fade back to that right side to load up the left hip for a lead like switch kick to the head. So he'll go right hand, boom, left kick to the head as he pulls back, pulling back 
adds motion, adds torque to your hips. So it's pop, boom, and then you fade away into that lead high kick. Um, he did that against Junior Albini. He does that in a lot of his fights. Um, he does that same thing kind of with the lead inside kick. So he'll he'll fake your touch, 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 and then boom, inside left low kick. Just boom, rip the leg, boom, rip the leg. And uh, I think the I think that Jerzino is going to be a little weary because he suffered the first loss of his career and it was a it was a vicious vicious knockout by the hardest puncher in all of MMA and Francis Ngannou so I think he's going to come out a little bit tentative and and look to kind of point fight his way against your um against JDS if I'm JDS honestly I'm trying to push Jerzino up against the fence and get into an over under clinch and work from the clinch position because we know that Jerzino is not really a good grappler. I don't see a lot of grappling going on in this fight to begin with. They're, these guys are primarily are primarily strikers, and that's how the fight's probably going to play out. It's probably going to be a kickboxing match. Um, when it comes down to it, you know, Do, Dos Santos is primarily a boxer. He likes to keep that lead hand low, the right hand up, and he'll fake, 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 fake the right hand, boom, overhand right. Fake the left hand, boom, overhand right. Fake, come over the top. Jab, jab, good left hook. Um, he's got good kicks. His spinning kicks could be a big factor against Jerzino. But I think since Jerzino Rosenstrike is is so, you know, technical and so savvy on the feet, I don't think he's going to be looking to throw a lot of spin kicks, whether it's to the body or to the head um, of a guy like Jerzino Rosenstrike. But really, really when it comes down to it and who I see winning, um, I think I got to go, I got to go with Biggie Boy. And, and it's kind of tough because we don't know how he's going to show up after that huge KO. Um, but I think Junior has uh, Junior's obviously taken more damage in his career. I think Jerzino Rosenstrike is probably the hardest hitter in the heavyweight division aside from Francis Ngannou. And Francis Ngannou knocked out Junior Dos Santos. And I think uh, I think Biggie Boy can knock out um, Junior. I think he comes in, um, he he catches him coming in with a check left hook like he did against Andre Arlovsky. And uh, I think he catches him coming in, fades away left hook and drops him and finishes him off. I think I'm going to go with Jerzino, Biggie Boy, Rosenstrike to get the win via first round KO over Junior Dos Santos. And then after this, let's do Jerzino, Rosenstrike versus the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. And then whoever wins that can get a title shot after Francis Ngannou gets the winner of J- um, DC Stipe number three. That's just how I would map out the heavyweight division currently. Okay, okay. The biggest the biggest fight for me on the card, I think, and uh, it's the co-main event in the bantamweight division. You've got the number 14-ranked undefeated prospect, Sugar Sean O'Malley, who holds a record of 12 wins and no losses, going up against the unranked but should be in the top 10, Marlon Chito Vera, who holds a record of 15 wins, 6 losses, and 1 no contest. Um, You know what, guys? Actually, let's go to the next part because I want to – I want to keep this going. All right, guys, let's get to the co-main event of the evening and the fight I'm looking forward to the most on the entire card. It's in the bantamweight division between the number 14-ranked sugar, Sean O'Malley, who was undefeated as a professional mixed martial artist at 12 wins, no defeats, going up against who should be in the top 10 of that 135-pound division, but he's not after a controversial decision loss to Song Yedong, and that is Marlon Chito Vera, who holds a record of 15 wins, six defeats, and one no contest. Guys, this is a phenomenal, phenomenal fight. And, it, and it's not a fight where you're going to say, oh, O'Malley's going to run through him. O'Malley's not going to run through Marlon Vera. Chito Vera is, is very, very good. He he has been on a rough patch before and then come back and gone on a streak. And uh, he was on, I believe, like a six or seven fight, a six fight win streak before he lost that decision to Song Yedong. 
I think it was actually a five-fight win streak, and then he lost the decision to Song Yedong, but that's a fight a lot of people thought that he won. And uh, when it comes to a guy like Marlon Vera, we'll talk about him first because, I mean, I think you guys know what a, how sugar Sean O'Malley is as a competitor. Um, Marlon Vera is just good everywhere. He, he's really good. He trains under Jason Perillo at Ruka Training Center, and, you know, his boxing is phenomenal, really good jab, good right hand, um, good just pop-pop, pop-pop-pop. Um, good left hooks. He doesn't throw his punches with the very, very clean technique, but he's very, very patient on the feet. Likes to kind of feel out the opponent, bop, feel him out, bop, 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 bop. And he's always good. And everywhere the fight goes, Marlon Vera is dangerous. If the fight goes to the clinch, that's where I think he has the biggest advantage against a guy like Sean O'Malley. He's very good at landing body shots from the clinch. He's good at landing elbows up and uppercuts up the middle and going over under where you have the overhook on the one arm and the underhook on the other. And then you break it and then you go into the tie plum. He's good at transitioning to the tie plum where you have both hands on the back of your opponent's neck and you use it to pull them into your knees. Pull, pull them in, knees up the middle to the head. Now against a guy like Sean O'Malley, which we're actually going to pull this up really quick. Let me get some of the stats up here for this fight. Uh, let's see. Let's go fight card. If we can pull it up. Hold on a second. Okay, UFC 252. All right, here we go. So fight card. All right, so Sugar Sean O'Malley, Marlon Chito Vera. So when you look at the stats... Um, you know, the height, it's a three-inch height advantage for Sugar Sean O'Malley. And that is good because it's going to make it harder for Marlon Vera to find the clinch positions. When you got a three-inch height advantage, the guy who's taller is going to be the one who has the advantage in the clinch. So it's going to be harder for Cheeto to find a way in to get to that clinch. But what I think he can do is attack low kicks. Um, Sugar Sean O'Malley, you know, he's he's never fighting in one fluid stance. He'll come out in a southpaw stance and he'll front stomp your knee or he'll like front leg side kick your knee, then he'll switch to orthodox, then he'll jab you, teep you up the middle, use that teep to switch back to southpaw, one, two, Check hook, switch back to orthodox, pop pop. He's always moving laterally, always moving on an angle, and always moving, switching his stances. The only way to really combat that is to chop the legs. That's the biggest weapon I think that Vera can do, and I think he should do it from a southpaw stance. I think you stand out there, kind of feel him out with the jab, boom, low kick. Feel him out with a jab, low kick. And do it not once he switches stances, but try to do it as he's about to switch stances. If you can catch... O'Malley mid stance switch, you could you could catch him and the leg kick's going to do a lot more damage because the leg's not going to be fully planted if you catch him in his mid stance switch. So as he maybe switches from orthodox to southpaw, chop the inside of the leg, take it out. And then when he goes back, chop the inside of the leg. And the more you attack the legs, the more it's going to impact and compromise the movement of O'Malley. And the movement of Sean O'Malley is what makes his um, fighting style so effective. If you could take away the movement, you can make him stationary and stationary against Marlon Vera is not good. And, uh, when it comes to, you know, Sean O'Malley, we'll talk about him a little bit. He's got a, a one and a half inch reach advantage. Um, and he's going to use it because he's tall, he's long and he's lanky. And even though it's only a one and a half inch reach advantage, he's so much taller and longer than Cheeto that he's going to be able to kind of use his fakes, use his feints, you know, he'll fake a shot with his head, move his head, move left, fake, move right, move in, fake it, move back, step in and counter. Um, even against Eddie Wineland, you know, he, he caught him with a, he did a, like, it was a, I believe it was a, he was, he was in Southpaw. He landed a left kick to the body, 
a check right hook, which stunned him. He switched to orthodox, used the momentum to do a spinning back kick. And then when he landed and caught his balance off the spinning back kick and got back up to his feet, he got up in a southpaw stance. So the opponent never knows what stance O'Malley's going to be in. He's always moving laterally. He's always switching. He switches his stance with the movement as he moves laterally, as he moves to his left, he'll go orthodox, he'll jab you, he'll go right hand, he'll switch southpaw, so you never know where he's going to be. And Marlon Vera switches stances as well, but if he ever switches to southpaw, he's going to be looking to throw the left kick to the body and the left kick to the head. The biggest weapon for Marlon Vera on the feet is his clinch game, which is his elbows and uppercuts and body shots and knees from the clinch, and the left kick to the body and the left kick to the head. If he switches southpaw, he's going to be looking to throw that left power kick. And he's really good at actually setting up those stance switches. He'll go like jab or he'll go like jab lead knee from the, from the opposite or from the same side, boom, boom. And just to close the distance a little bit more so he can get into a clinch range or get in closer boxing range and piece you up on the feet. Um, like I said, his punches aren't the cleanest technique. I would say technique wise, I would give the advantage to sugar Sean O'Malley all day. Um, I definitely think he has the cleaner technique, the cleaner movement, the cleaner, you know, everything. And But I do feel that Marlon Vera is the more well-rounded fighter overall. I mean, we have we know that Sugar Sean O'Malley can grapple. We know he has good wrestling. But he doesn't use it a lot. And I think that Marlon Vera is going to find a way to get in close and but get him up against the fence. And it's probably going to be with the low kicks, you know, inside, outside low kicks, jab, inside kick, jab, knee to the body. As O'Malley tries to close the distance, catch him with that knee to the body and jab, knee, jab, and use that to step forward. You know, I think that that's the key for Marlon Vera. He can box with him, but I wouldn't stand and, and box and look to get in a pretty striking match with Sean O'Malley. I would use his his phenomenal jujitsu, um, his ability to take the back, get the neck, and get the rear naked choke, or take the neck and get a guillotine. That's what I would do. I would look to get the neck of Sean O'Malley because I think if Marlon Vera can lock up a submission against O'Malley and get a hold of his neck and get him on the ground, I think that he has a big advantage. And I know O'Malley's a good grappler. He's good everywhere. Like I said, it's the new wave of mixed martial artists. You know, Sugar Sean O'Malley is good anywhere the fight goes. And if you want to look at the stats a little bit more in depth. Um, based on wins, um, O'Malley's 67% of his wins come by way of KO. And then when it comes to Chito Vera, 53% of his wins come by submission, 33 by KO. So a little bit more well-rounded is Chito Vera. They're both finishers, but O'Malley's more of a knockout artist, and he's going to be looking to put you to sleep. Um, even what he did against Wineland, where he faked the uppercut to get Wineland to drop that lead hand and then came over, came straight up the... Um, came straight down the center with the right hand. So he faked it, boom, and then threw the right hand because he knew that Wineland's lead hand was going to drop to kind of parry away that uppercut, and it was going to leave it open for the right hand. So he's good at faking, feinting, setting traps. But so is Marlon Vera, like I said, with the clinch positions. Um, good boxing overall. Um, really good uppercuts from the clinch. He'll go like uppercut, left hook, uppercut, left hook. And a lot of his punches, like I said, they're not that clean in terms of technique, but they have a, like a sting on the end of them. He Sometimes he'll just kind of like whip them in they're not they're just kind of coming in on a, on a diagonal boom ha, ha, and he's just coming in with like a weird angle and the weird angle of the punches can make it harder for O'Malley to see the punches coming um I do think that Chito Vera is going to have to fight very very technical but he's also going to have to make it a dirty fight but he has to do it smart because if you walk into a guy like O'Malley he's going to catch you and he's going to knock you out um, and I think that could happen with anybody at 135 pounds so when it really comes down to it, this this is such a tough fight and a very, very close fight to call. Honestly, it's it's a coin flip for me. I know a lot of people aren't going to give 
you know, Marlon Vera the credit that he deserves and say that O'Malley's going to walk right through him because he's undefeated. But man, Marlon Vera can win this fight. And I think I explained it pretty well for you guys. I'm going to go with, oh, this is so hard to pick. I have my pick right here, but all right, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with my gut. I'm going to go with Sugar Sean O'Malley. I think, I think he's going to find a way to catch Cheeto coming in and, and drop him drop Marlon and, and get a TKO, but it's going to be a tough fight. It's going to be gritty. If he doesn't catch him early, I think that Marlon's going to take over, but I'm going to go with sugar Sean O'Malley to get the win via a second round knockout, but it's going to be a close fight and I'm very excited for it. And then in the main event of the evening for the heavyweight championship of the world, you have the champion Stipe Miocic going up against the former champ, the former double champ, Daniel D.C. Cormier, in the trilogy fight. First fight, Daniel Cormier won via knockout in the first round. The second fight, Stipe Miocic won via knockout in the fourth round. And this is the third and final fight. Who is going to take the trilogy home and who is going to walk out with 10 pounds of gold for the UFC heavyweight division and claim themselves to be the king of the heavyweights? Um, when you look at the records, I mean, Stipe Miocic is 19-3 and overall, obviously coming off that win, um, exacting his revenge against Daniel Cormier at UFC 241. And Daniel Cormier holds a record of 22 wins, two losses, and one no contest. One loss coming to John Jones, the other loss coming to Stipe Miocic, and the one no contest coming um, after a loss to John Jones, but it was overturned due to a failed drug test. Um, guys, this is a great fight, and it's, and it's always going to be a close fight. It's never not going to be close. In in the first fight, um, I think that Stipe was doing decent with low kicks. Um, Daniel Cormier had good low kicks too, coming in, um, chopping the lead leg of Stipe, and you know, bop, and then chopping the leg, bop, chopping the leg, and then trying to get in close. Um, he always dips his head over to his right, and uh, you know, I think it's I think John Jones said he dipped his head over to the left, and that's what set up the high kick against Jones. But he likes to dip his head over to the right and then use that left hand, whether he throws a jab and a wide left hook. He'll throw the jab, wide left hook, and then go into a single collar clinch position. He'll use that punch to direct you into the clinch, grab a hold of your neck, and land an uppercut up the middle or land a right hand over the top. And that's kind of what he did against Stipe. He got in close, got him to reach. He, he got the the over the the single collar clinch he kind of swam his hand through and used that swim the way he used the momentum and the and the motion of swimming the hand through new Stipe's hand head was going to be up not protected came over the top dropped him with that right hand you know swam his hands through came over the top caught him and and got the knockout and then in the second fight the biggest adjustment that Stipe Miocic made um was the was the, the left hook to the body and i and here's the thing with the way that Daniel Cormier fights where he's always kind of reaching out for his opponent's hands. He likes to hand fight a lot. That's that's basically the key of Daniel Cormier's style is hand fighting. Whether it's controlling your hands and jabbing you, controlling your hands and flicking the jab out, controlling and flicking, and then controlling flicking left hook, use that left hook to kind of overhook and then get into a clinch position and then go for takedowns. Um, in the first and second fight, he didn't really look to wrestle. He did take... Stipe down in the second fight and did it pretty easily. Um, he shot that single leg, transitioned it to a high crotch takedown. Stipe tried to uh, like extend the leg and then um, get a hold of the butt around the back of DC and turn the corner, but it didn't work. Stee, um, Cormier pulled him back, lifted him up high crotch, took him down and uh, landed some good, some decent strikes from the top and kind of controlled him. But like I said, the biggest weapon and the biggest difference in the, in the fight for me 
is uh, I'm not saying that that DC didn't outstrike him because he did, but Stipe made the adjustment with that left hook to the body. And with the way that Daniel Cormier fights, that's not something I think he's going to be able to fix in, in this third fight. I think Stipe is going to look to fake a little bit more because DC does tend to bite on feints and reach and then jab and reach and then pop. And maybe he'll freeze for a second. And I think he's going to look to work the body a lot more. And I think he could do it with knees, but you got to be careful because if DC catches one of your knees, he can hike it up and take you down. You know, it's not, it's not something that's going to be easy for Stipe to do. And I do think that Daniel Cormier can win. I do a hundred percent believe that he can catch him. He's good enough on the feet to, to find a way to to piece up Stipe. But Stipe's got good boxing. Stipe's got good movement, and he's got good hands. And he's tough, and he's gritty, and both guys are. But I think, like I said, man, that that adjustment that he made with that left hook to the body where he slipped off to his left and ripped that left hook to the liver, once he got that going, it, it was over because it kept landing and landing and landing and landing. And he hurt him with a really solid one, dug it in, and you saw St um, Cormier kind of, hook and then freeze up for a second. And then he followed up with the right hand up top and then boom, left hook, left hook, left hook up against the fence and dropped him and knocked him out. And I think Stipe is going to look to go to the body really quick and really early in this fight. I think the body work for Stipe Miocic and uppercuts as Cormier tries to lower his level and go for a clinch and uh, go for that single collar tie where he'll jab and then kind of step in, move his head over to the right and go over the top. That's the key. He's got an uppercut. When, it, when, when Cormier lowers his head, uppercut, and then use that left hook to the body and use that jab. The jab was giving DC a lot of trouble, and the jab of Cormier was also giving uh, Stipe a lot of trouble. I mean, we can't sit here and say that Stipe wasn't getting outstruck by Cormier because he was. He was getting outstruck in both fights. Cormier's quick. He's deceptively, deceptively quick for such a big guy at heavyweight, and uh, he's a great athlete, and he doesn't look like it, but, man, that guy can fight, and he's a, he's a phenomenal wrestler. A phenomenal striker. He's good everywhere the fight goes. But I just keep going back to that body shot. And the way that Cormier fights where his hands are always going to be reaching out in front. That's why a lot of the time he gets those eye pokes. And he did it against Stipe and actually really hurt his eye and almost took his vision from him. Because he'll flick out that jab, but he'll have his fingers extended. And it'll end up poking you know, Stipe in the eye or his opponent in the eye. And he'll reach out with his hands. And reaching out with your hands, you take your hands away from your head. And you also take your hands away from the body. All, all Stipe's got to do is slip off the center line and land the shot to the body. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think that it's going to be very, very similar to the second fight. But I think uh, I think that Stipe's going to come on a little bit stronger. And I think I'm actually going to go with a third-round knockout for Stipe Miocic to retain the heavyweight championship against Cormier. I do think Cormier can win. And this is a close, close fight. But adjustments for body shots with a guy like Cormier is never going to be easy. And it's not going to be something that you can pick up right away. It's something that has to be drilled into your head. Um, maybe immediately go for wrestling. I think that that could work. And I know a lot of people are saying that DC needs to wrestle and that's what needs to happen. And you know what? It's cool. Like that is kind of what happened. Or that is kind of what needs to happen. He should wrestle. But the thing is, the more Cormier wrestles early on in that fight, he can win with ground and pound and setting up submissions, but he also can tire himself out. And if you tire yourself out with too much wrestling and clinch work and, and fence control and, and work up against the fence early in the fight, it's going to make it harder for you to keep pushing the pace later on in the fight. And I think that's what we saw. Stipe 
was was slower early on, but he picked it up and 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 he eventually knocked him out in that fourth round. So I think the body shots, I think for Cormier, wrestle and strike. Strike to wrestling, wrestle to strike. So grappling, breakaway, strike in the clinch, strike, go to grappling. The transitions and the transition, the transitions between the striking and grappling and from the striking to the grappling and the grappling to the striking are the biggest areas of success that Cormier can have. With Stipe, I think stick behind the jab, use fakes and feints to try to get Cormier to bite on the fakes and feints a lot, and work that uppercut as Cormier lowers his level or moves his head off to the, off to the side and work the, the shot to the body. And I think that's what he's going to do. And I think uh, Stipe Miocic retains the title against Daniel Cormier with a third-round knockout. And yeah, that's it for my predictions, guys. Thank you for listening. Um, I haven't been the most consistent in the last couple weeks to a month. I've had a lot going on. And, uh, you know, it's no excuse. I should have always had episodes out for you guys, but we're back and we're back full fledged more than likely. I might actually have an episode tomorrow as well. I might do two or three episodes this week, but, uh, thank you guys for listening. Tell everybody you can about the touch them up podcast, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your boyfriends, your girlfriends, your coworkers, anybody, you know, who's a fan of mixed martial arts, a fan of professional wrestling, tell them to listen to the touch them up podcast. You can also find some of my work. Um, a lot of my, Fight breakdowns and fighter breakdowns and and post-fight studies are on YouTube. Go to touch, T-O-U-C-H apostrophe E-M-U-P-P-O-D exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. That's on YouTube. Touch him up pod, three exclamation marks. You'll find all my work. I have a Peter Jan versus Jose Aldo post-fight study, uh, Sandhagen versus Sterling post-fight breakdown, a Nikki Holskin striking breakdown, a Ferguson versus Gaethje breakdown. Um, a, a breakdown on the grappling of Habib Nurmagomedov, which I think everybody who listens to this podcast will like because Habib is, is very technical in the way that he wrestles and the way that he grapples. So thank you guys for listening. Leave a review for the podcast if you can. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody. All right?